Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. So uh, we were gone last Sunday, and uh, so we didn't get to do this, but we have hired a world-renowned polygraph test um, giver. I don't know what you call it. Administer. Yeah, that's him right here. We have trained Devin since he was a young age on how to administer polygraph tests, and so we're going we're gonna to do that as we start off this morning, and so I would like to ask, are you ready to do this? Yeah, you're ready. I would like to ask Julie Ely to come to the stage right now, and we're going to find out if she tells the truth or is uh, been known to, to fabricate a little bit, so we'll see. We're going to find out. I'll help you out here. We've got to get her all strapped up. Come on, babe, over here. Yeah, this is not right, and I'm in trouble. I'm grounded for life. I'm going to sit way over here for reasons that I don't, for safety reasons, that's why. So, all right. Okay, so uh, we got to set the baseline, so let's ask this question right here. Are you taking a lie detector test? All right, she told the truth on that one. Do you love Passion Church? True. Okay. Um, I don't know if he's here or not, but let's ask this one. Did teaching Aaron Palacios at Southwestern Christian University make you decide to quit teaching college and move to teaching elementary school? Is that true? That's true. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Y'all, don't tell him she said that. Hopefully he'll be here second service. Did, okay, this one. Okay, y'all pray. Did you shoot Pastor Steve point blank with a paintball gun, which made him bleed? Yep. Did you do it on purpose? <laughs> Just to be clear, she shot me right here on the hand. I had the scar to prove it. I bled out on the field. Okay, no, you don't get to explain. Yes or no answers. All right. Is it true that Pastor Steve is the love of your life and you wouldn't be able to live, function, or even breathe without him and that he is by far, and it is not even close, the best-looking man on the planet? Is it inconclusive or is it true? It's true. All right. Give her a hand for telling the truth, kind of. All right. So uh, have you ever um, come into contact with people who cannot tell the truth? Y'all, doesn't it drive you crazy? I mean, you know, like, uh, they, they just can't tell the truth. That's why we come up with statements like this, liar, liar. Pants on fire, y'all, okay. And then there are other group of people who are kind of crazy. Have you run into them? They're, you know, they're the ones that only have one oar in the water, you know. Uh, they're a few clowns short of a circus, you know. They're just kind of, okay, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And, and most of us, we deal with the folks like that, but I, I think we need to stop and realize that uh, in Jesus' day, there were people that thought that he was either a liar or a lunatic. We never really think about that because we weren't there and we don't understand. And some of the things that he says, we read that he says, don't strike us as crazy uh, like they did 
those people. For instance, um, in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, we see one of these instances. It says, then Jesus entered a, a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. He's crazy. And then we see in John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, it says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple ground. So Jesus makes this statement. He said, before Abraham was even born, I am. He's literally making the claim by stating I am that just like as God spoke out of the burning bush to Moses, Jesus is using that same phrase and doing so he's claiming that he's God. And the religious leaders of the day pick up stones and they get set to kill Jesus because they think he's either lying or he's a lunatic. We miss that. When Jesus used this phrase, it wasn't the first time. The leaders thought he was blaspheming God. And Jesus is, is basically stating over and over, eight times in the book of John, that he says, I am. I am. And it forces the people of that day to do something. It forces them to wrestle with Jesus' identity. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that we need to wrestle as well. We, even if you've been serving Jesus all of your little life, we still need to come to this place. You have to come to this place where you wrestle with the identity of Jesus and you discover in, for yourself whether he's a liar, a lunatic, or is he Lord. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You can't shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Those are the only choices. We've talked about this, this over the last uh, few weeks. I talked to you about the fact that Jesus said that he was the bread of life. Madeline, which I listened, did a great job. She talked about the fact that Jesus is the light. He claimed that he was the light of the world. So now I want you to join me in John chapter 10. There are two claims that Jesus makes uh, very close to one another, and they're related. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want you to see what he says. In John chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 7, and then we're going to read several passages. Verse 7, verse 9, verse 11, verses 14 and 15. These are all the same claims, are very closely related. This is what he says. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Then he shifts gears and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then he repeats it. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. We miss it because of the way it's written in English, but Jesus was literally standing up making this statement. The sheep gate, I am. The good shepherd, I am. He's making these claims, he, he, and it's ironic to me, uh, but I think it's all part of the big picture, the big plan is this. Jesus, the one who came from Bethlehem, Bethlehem is where the sheep, the lambs were kept for the Day of Atonement. The, the ones that were raised to be sacrificed on the Day of Atonement were kept there in the fields 
of Bethlehem. Come on, click in what's happening here. Everything that Jesus did was a picture that was, was on purpose. Jesus comes from the very location where the sacrificial lambs have been raised and kept to the Day of Atonement. And then they would bring the sheep into Jerusalem and they would bring them through the sheep gate. Now Jesus shows up on the scene from Bethlehem and he marches to his death at the, on, on Golgotha and he enters Jerusalem through the sheep gate. It's all connected. And now he stands up and he makes this statement. He says, I am the sheep gate and I am the good shepherd. My question to you this morning is, is, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? What is Jesus saying? What does he mean? There's a couple things I want to show you out of this. I think the first thing that Jesus is trying to teach us is that he is the only point of entry. I think it's interesting, at least it is to me, that before Jesus makes the claim that he is the good shepherd, he first says that he is the gate. He is the gate to the sheepfold. He is the door. He is the one that is there. So, so I think it's important to notice the order because we would expect Jesus to arrive on the scene and say, I'm the good shepherd. But first, he says, I'm the gate. He's the point of entry. Too many of us want the blessings of the shepherd without allowing the shepherd to direct or discipline us. And we want entry, but we don't want to go through the gate. And Jesus makes it clear that the only way to get the benefits of the good shepherd is to come through the door. Are y'all with me this morning? He's, he's making it clear. The only, only those who come through Jesus can experience the benefits of having him as a shepherd. And in chapter 10 Jesus of John, Jesus lists some of the benefits that are available to those that will enter the kingdom through Jesus. You know the, you know the passage. He says that he's come to give us life and life more abundantly. That's part of the benefit of knowing the shepherd. But to get to the shepherd, you've got to come through the gate. Are y'all here? Is it still spring break? Are y'all awake this morning? We, we need to understand what Jesus is trying to show us and teach us, that there's no other way to get to the Father by him, but, but, but through him. In fact, he would go on and he would say that in later in John chapter 14, 6, he says, no man gets to the Father but through me. He's the only point of entry. Jesus is making a claim right here that he's the only way to get to the Father. Then he, he lists more benefits. He said, not only do I come to give you life and more, life more abundantly, but he also talks about giving us protection from the enemy who's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Those are benefits. Too many of us want those benefits, but we never enter in through the sheep gate. And Jesus is making it very and abundantly clear that the only way to get to, to, to the Father is through him. And you say, well, why is that important? Let's go back to what he's actually pointing to, the literal thing that he's pointing to. Those people around there were accustomed to shepherds and sheep, and they knew how this works. At night, when, when the shepherds were bringing the sheep in from the fields and they've eaten all day, they would bring them to a, a sheep pen, a, a stone-walled sheep pen, and there was only one way to get in. Only one entry, only one point of entry. And they would, the, the shepherd would lead the sheep into that corral. We would call it a corral, a sheep pen. And then the shepherd would lay down in the point of entry. He became a human gate so that nobody else could get to the sheep. 
so that the wolf couldn't get in. So what would take place is as that shepherd is laying there during the course of the night, anybody else that tried to gain access to that sheep pen that would try to climb the wall to get in, they were considered a thief or a robber. Are y'all tracking here? And Jesus says this, I'm the sheep gate. I'm the one that's laying there. I'm the one that's standing between you and the the wolf that's trying to get in. And any other approach is illegitimate. If you try to get to the Father, this is literally what Jesus is trying to say. If anybody tries to get to the Father any other way than through me, it's an illegitimate approach. Like if you try to get to God because of your reputation, if you try to get to God because of your hard works, if you try uh, good works, if you try to get to God because of your last name, if you try to get to God riding on somebody else's relationship with God, then Jesus is saying that's not how you get in. You're trying to climb the wall, and that is an illegitimate approach. The only way to get to my Father is through me. Jesus is the one that reconciles us with God. In fact, you probably ought to back up and read chapter 9. Because in chapter 9, the reason Jesus is even having this this dialogue, this discourse, making these statements is in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man that was blind. And then he, he sends him back to the temple to be examined. And he goes to the temple and all of a sudden the religious leaders are there, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the, 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 the religious folks. And in John chapter 9, when they see this man, who was blind and now sees, this is what it says. They say to him that he is steeped in sin. Forget the fact that he's healed. Forget the fact that he was once blind, now he can see. Rather than rejoicing with him, celebrating with him, they declare, you are steeped in sin, and they kick him out of the temple. And Jesus sees this happen. And in John chapter 10... On the back end of this, he says, wait a minute, guys. I need to tell you something. I am the gate. And you're trying to restrict access to to my father, but you don't get to decide whether or not he gets to stay or gets into the kingdom because I am the gate. You're no longer the gate. I am the gate. Jesus is helping us because he is teaching us that he is the door and that he alone is, gets to decide who can access the kingdom and who can't. That ought to be good news to you today because most of you that I know in this room are, are in the kingdom and therefore that means that Jesus offered you access and offered you grace to get in. And nobody's happy about that. Okay, so, so Jesus says this, I'm the door. The second thing I think that Jesus is trying to teach us in this, this uh, exchange with religious leaders is this, is that the door is open. Have you ever noticed that religious folks like to restrict access to the Father? Just me? And nobody else? Because, I, I, see, I grew up when, when access was restricted. Like you had to have the right clothes on. You come on now. There were there were rules that you had to follow, or we would just dismiss. Like like you, you if you did this, there's no way you could be a follower of Jesus. That that's literally what's taken. They religious people like to keep people out, restrict access, and that that's what's happening. Prior to this statement that Jesus is making, the door was closed. Let me let you in on something. Thank God He sent Jesus. Because 
at this moment, during this exchange, access to us is non-existent. We couldn't get in. You know why? We weren't, we're not Jews. We're not part of the family. Jesus is, is saying, let's see, it was circumcised only, law keepers only, religious, legalistic people only. And Jesus suddenly shows up on the scene and he makes entry available to anyone who will do this. Simply believe on him. That's it. Anyone who will approach him as the shepherd of their life finds their way into the flock. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus made it possible for us to be a part of the flock? We don't have to keep all the laws. We didn't have to, we didn't have to be of a certain uh, tribe. We just believe on Jesus and we gain access. We can't act like we deserve that. We cannot act like we earned that. We can't act like we have any part of that. Instead, what should happen is if we have access to the Father because of Jesus, our hearts should be full of gratitude. We should be thankful. That shouldn't make us proud. Well, I'm so proud, and now I want to restrict access to everybody else. No, we should throw the door wide open because the door is open. And allow people to come in. Instead, we, 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 we recognize that our only means of access came due to the walking, talking, saving, rescuing, grace-filled sheep gate who by his sacrifice made all this possible. So what makes him the good shepherd? He says he's the gate. The door is open. So what makes Jesus the good shepherd? Come on, let's wrestle with this a moment. I mean, we can back up into the Old Testament and we can, we can learn some lessons maybe from the most famous passages about uh, uh, shepherds and sheep. And you know it, Psalm 23. And almost everybody in America probably can quote a portion of Psalm 23. You always hear it at, at funerals. You hear it at all kinds of events. People that never darken the door of a church can quote parts of Psalm 23 because it teaches us about shepherds and sheep. You remember what the lessons are? Yeah, we're, we're, we're taught that the good shepherd help, helps us rest. He's a good shepherd because he, he makes me lie down. Even He knows when I need rest even when I don't. He, he's a good shepherd because he leads me. He doesn't drive me. He doesn't beat me into submission. No, instead, he leads me. Where does he lead me? He leads me by, beside still waters. That, that, he could take me to rough waters, but instead, here's one of the benefits of the good shepherd. This is one of the reasons he's a good shepherd. He leads me to where it's safe. He, he, uh, he prepares a table in the presence of my enemy. He favors me when others are plotting against me. Anybody else ever have anybody plot against them? The good shepherd says, no, no, no. Even when they're plotting against you, I can turn it for your good. That makes him the good shepherd. He favors me. So, so he restores my soul. He meets my needs so that I don't want anymore. All of those are the reasons that he's a good shepherd. But here's my, here's my problem with Psalm 20, chapter 23 is this. That's somebody else's statements about him. Can we learn from that? Yes. Should we know those truths? Yes. But that's just David's understanding of what the good shepherd does and who he is. So maybe even 
And equally as important is to look back and see what Jesus says about himself as the good shepherd. Let, let, let me go take you back. He says, he mentions two things that he will do as good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then I didn't read this in verse 12. It says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. So in other words, he, Jesus is saying this about himself. Think, think about this. This is what Jesus is saying about himself. He says that the good shepherd stays present in an attack. Can't get no help. Hirelings abandon you. Only Jesus steps between you and the wolf and buffers you and protects you. In fact, all you got to do is go back and read the story of Job. And what you discover in the story of Job, we like to read about all the thing, bad things that happened to him and the fact that when it was all said and done that the Lord gave him back double of everything. But let's back up because if you back up, you discover in the story of Job that the enemy, the wolf, wanted to attack Job for a long time. There was only one problem. The good shepherd was in the way. It wasn't that the devil didn't want to attack him. It wasn't that the devil didn't want to destroy him. It wasn't that the, that the devil didn't want to kill him and steal from him. All along, the devil wanted to do all that, but he couldn't get to Job because there was the good shepherd standing in the way. Can I just tell you this morning that you have a good shepherd standing in the way? Others see the, the struggle you're going through, the pain that you're going through, the tragedy that you've, you've dealt with, and the heartbreak. But I, but I just need you to stop just a moment and think about it. What would it have been like? How bad would it have been? How devastating would it have been if the good shepherd hadn't been standing in the way? Go back and think over the course of your life and all the times that things seem to be falling apart and not going the way that you wanted them to go and chaos strikes and confusion strikes. How bad could it have ended up? Except for this fact, the good shepherd stood in the way and he buffered you and he protected you. See, the, the fact that you're still alive, the fact that you're still singing, the fact that you're still showing up, the fact that you're still worshiping is the living proof that the good shepherd is on duty. See, others see that trouble is looming on the horizon and they see destruction at hand and they see, pain, they see pain in the path and they will sacrifice you instead of allowing themselves to be sacrificed. Met those people in your life? But not Jesus. Jesus steps in while others step out. Others will tuck tail and run. Jesus steps right into the middle of your mess every time. Every time. That's what makes him the good shepherd. He continues and says that he will lay down his life for us. That is a commitment to us. He, he values us above his own safety and his own life. He's willing to fight for us. He's willing to protect us. He's on constant and consistent duty. In fact, the Bible says that he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He's always watching for you. Watching for you. His attention is solely on you. Who else would die for you? Who else did die for you? He steps in in the middle. He's always present in an attack. 
The second thing that he teaches us is this, and this is a powerful truth that we've got to capture this morning. I'm not sure we all know this. Some of you know Jesus as your personal Savior. You've invited him into your heart, and I'm still not sure you're aware of this fact completely because we watch how you walk and we see you struggle when you shouldn't struggle in some areas because of this. Because the other thing that Jesus teaches us is, is, is this, the good shepherd knows me. That's what he says. He says, I know my sheep. And I intentionally wrote it like I just said it. I could have said, Jesus knows us. I could have turned it from, from, from singular to plural. But I think it's important for us to understand and make this personal. He knows me. Intimately. Does he have more than one sheep? Yes, he has an entire flock. But I want you to notice that, that, that he, he lets us know that we're not just a face in the crowd. We're not just some nameless part of a group. We're not just lumped in. We're not just obscure. We're not unnoticed. He knows me. One of the greatest needs in the human existence is to be known. And Jesus deals with our greatest need right here. He says, I know you. In fact, Jesus uh, knows us by name. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows me and values, so, values me so much that if I wander off. In Matthew chapter 18 verse 12, he says, you know what? If you wander off, I will leave the 99 to find the one. Think about that a moment. He's so intimately connected to you. And you matter so much to him. That he'll leave 99 to find you. Instead of, instead of uh, sitting by comfortable, the fact that he's got 99 more. The fact that, that, that I'll just cut my losses. And he says, nope. I'll go after the one. I will go after you. I will go after you. My, what does that mean? That means my presence in his flock matters to him. Okay. I think it's crucial for, the, for us to, to grasp this. So I want you to do this. I want you to say this with me. On the count of three, I want you to say this. Jesus knows me. On the count of three, are you ready? One, two, three. Jesus knows me. Come on, I need. I think I, we got to get. I, as I as I prayed over this, we got to get the we got to get this into our spirit. On the count of three, one, two, three. Jesus knows me. You mean he knows about? Yeah, he knows. You mean my struggle? Yes, he knows. The pain I'm going. Yes, he knows. The heart. Yes, he knows. The desires. Yes, he knows. My longings. Yes, he knows. My dreams. Yes, he knows. Come on, one, two, three. Jesus knows me. Let that truth and the reality of that truth and the confidence that's born out of that truth, uh, the freedom of that truth sink in to, the, to this understanding that Jesus, the God of the universe, the, the, the one who owns everything, 
the one who has my answers, the one who has provision, the one who has power, the one who has miracles, the one who can create out of nothing, the one who commands angels, the one who can make me whole, the one that can heal, the one that can calm my fears, the one that can set me free. He's the one that knows Steve. Come on, put your own name in there. He knows me. Come on, one, two, three. He knows me. Boy, if we would ever understand that Jesus is not a liar and he's not a lunatic, but he's Lord. And as Lord, he knows us. He knows me. If I could just get any of you convinced that Jesus knows you. If I could just teach you, if I could just get it down into your spirit that he knows you. It would change how you approach life. It would help you sleep better at night. You wouldn't freak out so bad. You wouldn't stress out so much. You wouldn't be worried quite as much as you are right now because you would recognize that Jesus knows me. He intimately knows the cries of my heart. And that should satisfy my soul. Who cares if nobody else knows me if the good shepherd knows me by name? And I just stopped by this morning to try to help you to go through what is a chaos-filled world right now, in a freaking out world right now, in a crazy world right now. Those of us that have had an encounter with the Good Shepherd should walk just a little bit different and post just a little bit different and say things just a little bit different and respond just a little bit different simply by, because of this one fact. Jesus knows me. I can rest in that this morning. I hope you can rest in that this morning because he's singling you out by name. He knows us, but he knows you. Come on, I want you to do it this way this time. I'll, on the count of three, I want you to say, Jesus knows, and I want you to say your name. Right out loud for God and everybody to hear it, understanding that when I say this, he recognizes me. I, they, I know his voice, but he knows my voice too. One. Two, three, Jesus knows Steve. Come on, say that one more time. Jesus knows Steve. Some of you getting it. Jesus knows Steve. How often do we go through life thinking this? Jesus knows my sins. He knows my secrets. He knows my shortcomings. He knows all my issues. But can I tell you, this morning it goes way beyond that. He knows you. Father, this morning my prayer is simply this, is that you would remind us that your son Jesus is the good shepherd. He's good because he stays present in the middle of our needs, in the middle of attack. In the middle of a, a full-on, a full-on, full-scale war of the enemy against us, Jesus never runs. He runs and stands between. God, some of us have been through some really rough stuff. Some of us have been broken. Some of us have been heartbroken. Some of us have been uh, destroyed, devastated, sick, needy. But we recognize this morning that if it wasn't for the good shepherd standing between us and the enemy, it could have been so much worse. It would have been so much worse. 
So, Father, this morning we're thankful for the presence of the good shepherd in the middle of an attack. We're thankful that we're never left alone, that you never sleep, that you never slumber, that you're always on duty, you're always on post. You put yourself and position yourself between us and the wolf that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're thankful this morning. I'm thankful that you're watching over me. And I'm thankful that you know me. I'm thankful that you know me. You intimately know me. All my fears and all my anxieties and all my stress points and all my shortcomings. You know everything about me. You're intimate with me. You know me. And you'd leave all the other sheep just to find me. I pray that you would sink that truth home to every person in this room and everyone watching online this morning. That you would, it's like you walked right into our own little private encounter, our own little private room with you. And we would recognize it would would produce freedom and life and confidence and trust and assurance that you know me. You know me. You know me. And I'm thankful for that fact this morning that you know everything about me. You know all my needs, all my wants. And you love me so much that you meet those needs. So Father, I pray that you would bring peace into the lives of people that have thought they were unknown and unwanted and unnoticed. I thank you that this morning you're bringing hope into the lives of folks that felt like maybe you had forgotten about them. They see you touching other sheep, blessing other sheep, and they wonder if maybe they've been left out. But this morning I'm thankful that you're reminding them right now that you know them by name and that you're concerned for them. We're never out of your sight. We're never out of your reach. We're never out of your heart, and we're always on your mind. We're thankful this morning that you've provided a point of access through your son Jesus. And Father, if there's anyone in this room or watching online that has tried to get in any other way, I pray they'd make it right this morning and they would give their life to Jesus. It's the only way we have access to you. And Father, we declare as a body this morning that we are thankful for the gate. We're thankful that Jesus laid his life down for us. May we never take that for granted, I ask in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we also declare that because you've given us access into the flock, we've benefited. I can testify this morning that I have been blessed by being in the sheepfold. I'm thankful. But I also recognize that as you bring me into the sheepfold, you don't want me to just come by myself. You want me to bring other sheep with me. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would help us as we approach Easter to remember that we have a, we're making a commitment to inviting five people to come and join us so that they can find life and freedom and grace. And I pray that you'd fill this house with people that need the saving touch of the Good Shepherd. And we will give you praise and glory and honor for all those birthed into the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, look at your neighbor real quick and say, he knows you. He knows you. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, 
You can't live without passion.